Welcome to the Cornerstones of Healthy Food Systems, sharing reflections on the environmental, agricultural, social, and nutritional factors that form the foundation of healthy food systems and healthy economies. Now your host, Dr. Mary Lucero. Hello and welcome to episode four. We're going to talk today about one group's interpretation of what is eco-friendly pet food and use it as an example of what I consider the ecotoxicity of specialized thinking. So I just finished reading a scientific article from Nature's Scientific Reports Journal and a related article in Science News Magazine. Science News is targeted to lay audiences, and of course, the scientific reports is a peer-reviewed research paper. Uh, I've got links to both of those in the show notes, but the subject of these papers centered around the analysis of environmental impacts associated with different kinds of dog foods. The authors were concerned about the impact our pets are having on greenhouse gas emissions. So they looked at everything from dry to canned dog foods and concluded that dry dog food, which is often made up of grains and other plant-based products, is actually more eco-friendly than some of the wet dog foods that contain more animal protein and also include water, which adds to shipping costs and this kind of thing. The scientists recognized a positive correlation between metabolizable energy and environmental impact. In the original study, the authors also examined cat foods, and they reached similar conclusions. Now, before you toss your meaty pet food in the trash because it's, quote, not eco-friendly, I'd like you to digest this information, if you will, and consider the bigger picture. Keep in mind that the best reason to feed any living creature is to provide it with metabolizable energy, because when that metabolizable energy runs out, we die. That's true whether you're a person, a dog, a cat, or a horny toad. Without metabolizable energy, you die. So the right nutrients in the right form are what makes energy metabolizable. But it is the energy that allows your dog to fetch balls, bark when someone's breaking into your house, and act as a good companion for you. Fortunately, the scientific paper fell short of recommending that you feed your dog dry food to help the environment. But I personally cringe at the simplistic implications suggested in the title of the news science news article. That is, dry pet food may be more environmentally friendly than wet food. Why do I cringe at this? Because most of us read headlines and maybe a sentence or two of an article, and then we post it on social media where it circulates quickly through other headline readers. So don't be surprised if a well-meaning shopper approaches you as you load your bag of Purina into your shopping cart and thanks you for saving the environment. But let's get real. Switching dogs whose ancestors have been eating meat 
for well over 50 million years to a plant-based diet is not going to be a realistic strategy for helping the environment. Carnivores appeared in evolution to help the environment by helping to balance our food webs. We need those carnivores, we need those upper trophic levels to help put controls on the population of herbivores. Without carnivores like dogs and wolves, we get too many herbivores like deer and rabbits. And with too many herbivores, our plants disappear, our soil erodes, and our atmosphere loses nitrogen. With no disrespect to the authors intended, I feel compelled to say that these two articles are outstanding examples of why I believe that solving our environmental problems will require the evolution of holistic thinking. I have no doubt that the scientists who wrote this paper have strong credentials. I don't doubt their intelligence. But I believe they are too narrowly focused. It has often been said that a specialist is someone who knows more and more about less and less. And I think when we look at environmental policy, one reason that society as a whole has repeatedly failed to solve our environmental problems. I mean, we have failed since before the dawn of the industrial age. One reason for this is because advanced civilization values specialization over and above holistic thinking. We have let too many specialists lead the idea bandwagon. As a result, our policies tend to solve one problem by creating another. We don't pay a doctor more than a nurse because the doctor knows more or works harder. There are millions of highly intelligent nurses out there working even harder than many of our doctors. We pay the doctor more because the doctor has demonstrated a deeper level of specialized knowledge. This may include more understanding of drug interactions, more understanding of surgical procedures, more diagnostic criteria, or more awareness of what a given insurance company allows as a prescription. This knowledge meets the requirements of various medical associations. But this doesn't mean that the total volume of the knowledge the doctor holds exceeds the total volume of the nurse's knowledge. The nurse may have deep knowledge in these areas as well, but they might also be informed about daily patient routines, hospital policies, or extenuating factors that the patient is dealing with, like perhaps the fact that a patient isn't following their medication routine at home because they can't read the label and they can't afford new glasses. But since these holistic factors, which have equally important impacts on patient outcomes, are not valued as much by our society, the doctor gets paid more. In the dog food study, which actually came out of a school of veterinary medicine, it's clear that the authors were narrowly focused on determining the greenhouse gas emissions associated with pet foods. I suspect the journal editors also shared this interest. 
After all, our greenhouse gas problems are big news today. So proposed solutions to greenhouse gas emissions are sure to generate headlines. And if you combine something as emotional as the pets we love with something as serious and headline-grabbing as greenhouse gas emissions, you've got the recipe for a well-read paper. But even hinting that we feed dogs plant-based protein sounds ridiculous when you consider the evolutionary history that created dogs, cats, and other meat-eaters. Food shapes every living creature. Shifting a carnivorous dog or cat to a plant-based diet is going to trigger what we call an evolutionary bottleneck. You see, survival of the fittest is not a pretty process. An evolutionary bottleneck is the result of an event, like a massive dietary change, that applies a massive selective pressure on an entire population. The individuals most capable of surviving that change will live and hopefully have offspring. But most don't survive and maintain their ability to reproduce. In the case of pets who live in highly unnatural environments, a change in diet could lead them to chronic disease. Not only will they become weak and possibly smell bad, but your monthly vet bill may start to exceed your monthly house payment. Pets forced into vegan diets will suffer from an array of health problems triggered by malnutrition. Look at how many dogs already have diabetes and allergies today because we're already putting too much grain in our dog foods. Is this the life you want for your dear little Fifi? While a few dogs will survive the bottleneck and even give birth to offspring that are better suited for plant-based diets, most will suffer a plethora of chronic diseases because they lack the digestive architecture needed to efficiently extract nutrients from plants. Oh sure, the dog food manufacturers could maybe process the dog food more and make the nutrients more bioavailable, but isn't this going to add to the greenhouse gas emissions associated with dog food manufacturing? Dog's teeth, or cat's teeth for that matter, are not shaped right for grinding plant-based food. Their stomachs lack the capacity to ferment cellulose. Many of the plants that we already place in dog food today are not in that dog food because they're good for dogs. They're in that dog food because it's cheap. Now, a big side note here. Some vegetables in dog food are good for dogs. And even dogs in the wild will chew on grasses and other plants. So I'm not trashing all your favorite high-dollar natural dog foods with meat and a few carrots. But when the bulk of the calories are coming from plants, and in particular, when a bulk of calories is coming from grains, your pet is going to suffer. If you read the entire research paper by Petronelli et al., which I've cited in the show notes, it quickly becomes clear that much of the climate impact associated with meteor dog food comes from the fact that they're packaged wet in single-serving cans 
and shipped around the country. So would preparing meat scraps that you get from a local butcher or a packing house be any worse for the environment than dry grain-filled dog food you buy at Walmart? If you're serious about feeding your pet a plant-based diet, then for the animal's own health, get a rabbit, a miniature donkey, or some other creature whose teeth, stomach, and intestines are designed for extracting nutrient from high-fiber diets. Get an animal that evolved eating plants. You can teach a rabbit to walk on a leash. Rabbits will use a kitty box. Rabbits will even trim the grass for you. They don't lick or drool, and they don't sharpen their claws on your furniture. In terms of greenhouse gas emissions, it could also be argued that we're keeping too many pets of any kind in our already overcrowded cities. Animals need outdoor space. I have no complaints at all about a well-cared-for pet that gets adequate outdoor space. And I have all kinds of respect for those people who take responsibility for the pets they bring home. But I suspect we could feed our pets all the wet, meaty food they desire and still reduce the carbon footprint associated with pets if we just restricted pet ownership to those pet lovers who are truly committed to their pet's care and to preventing the birth of unwanted, uncared-for pets. There are 6.3 million pets right now in U.S. animal shelters alone. Are we really loving those animals by keeping them there? I guarantee you they're emitting greenhouse gases. The facilities themselves are emitting greenhouse gases. We could shut down the estimated 10,000 puppy mills in the United States and reduce the pet population by 2.6 million new pets per year without depriving a single pet lover of their little fifi. And how many of you know a pet owner whose neglected German Shepherd has been tied to a post in their backyard for two or three years because they never took the time to train it and teach it to behave around people? There are not a lot of statistics available to measure that problem, but we all know it adds up to an awful lot of pets. I think if we could simply inspire the masses to manage the pets they have, and manage them well, rather than trying to transform these pets into something they're not. The very practice of stewardship would likely expand into other aspects of how we care for our environment. Let's face it, one reason we love our pets is because they connect us to nature. Our pets help us understand those aspects of our own nature that have not yet been corrupted by the synthetic industrial world we've built around us. Our pets help us learn about our environment. How many urban dwellers would ever even experience fresh air and sunshine if they didn't have to go outside and walk the dog? So please let your dogs be dog. Feed your pets real foods that are similar to the foods they would eat in nature. And let's manage our environment by restoring natural processes rather than re-engineering the biology nature has surrounded us with.
narrowly targeted solutions, like the idea of combating climate change by forcing dogs to eat plants, or forcing people to eat plants for that matter, are ideas I consider ecotoxic. That's right. I believe these ideas are toxic for the environment. Why? Because as movements grow around these ideas, policies get put into place that support them, regardless of the harm they might be causing in other arenas. If a person volunteers to eat a plant-based diet, have at it. But there are people who live in regions of the world where that's impractical, and there are people who simply do better physically with real meat in their diet. Do we really think a bunch of sick dogs or sick people are going to help us clean up the environment? I know there will be scientists with more expertise in animal nutrition than I have who are going to argue that it's possible to combine the right plant proteins and meet the dog's macros and micronutrients without feeding them meat. But I'm also going to point out that these proponents of plant-based synthetic proteins are ignoring the broader nutrigenomic, metagenomic, and microbiome effects of adding thousands of new processed phytochemicals to the diet. They're also ignoring the fact that each processing step they add increases the environmental impact of the food going out onto the shelf. So I guess the point here is that any of these ideas about how we address the environment are complex, they're controversial, and they have many angles to them. I'm not trying to point fingers at the authors of either of these papers as much as I'm trying to challenge you to think broadly about the long-term effects of any strategies we implement, because I am convinced to the core that the more we can align those strategies with the natural processes that have sustained our planet for millions of years, the more success we will have in addressing our environmental problems. This brings us to the end of today's episodes. Please check the show notes for references to the papers I've discussed here and to links for affiliates that support our podcast. Have a great day. You have been listening to the Cornerstones of Healthy Food Systems podcast. This podcast is produced by Endophyte Enterprises, LLC. You can subscribe to our podcast at endophyte.com or look for us on your favorite podcast directory. Information or products referenced in any episode can be found in the show notes associated with that episode. These notes may contain links to our online courses or services. They may also contain links to affiliate sites. Purchases made through these links help support our efforts to produce this podcast.